Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, which is available now as a paperback, an ebook, and an audiobook. But that ebook, that ebook is free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Don't worry about me. I'll get your money when you come back for Banneker Bones and the Alligator People and Banneker Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy. Under the super secret pen name Robert Kent, I've written some novels for older readers, such as my young adult novel, All Together Now, A Zombie Story. For more information about all of that, and more importantly, for interviews with thousands of literary agents, authors, editors, book people, the world's best people, head to middlegradeninja.com, and you can read a very special seven-question interview there now with uh, today's guest, Linda Epstein. Linda Epstein, welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. Really glad. I'm glad you were able to stay awake through that whole intro. I kind of put myself to sleep. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, uh, thrilled to uh, to talk with you. Esteemed audience knows that I never summarize anybody else's biography or anybody else's book. Um, so, best place to get started is if you would tell us uh, a little bit about your background. Sure. So, my name is Linda Epstein, and my book is "Repairing the World." It's my debut middle grade. Um, so I'm a brand new author, which is exciting, but I'm not a brand new literary agent. I'm also an agent at Emerald City Literary, which is based in Seattle. Um, and I represent books for children and teens. So I've been doing that for like over a dozen years. And now I'm on the other side of it um, as an author, which is really exciting. Um, and Repairing the World is realistic contemporary. I like to think of it as kind of sprinkled with a little bit of fairy dust. Um, it's not quite magical realism, but there's maybe some fairy dust in there. Um, and it's a story about a girl who loses her best friend. And the year after that, uh, the book is really about her grieving and healing. Um, and um, I was surprised that I wrote that book. It was the book I intended to write, but that's the one that ended up on the page. And um, uh, yeah, I hope people love it. What's the book you intended to write? Well, the book that I thought I was going to write was tentatively entitled Weirdos. And everyone was like, I'd read that book. Wouldn't matter. I didn't even have to tell them, <clears throat> excuse me, what it was about. Everyone wanted to read a book called Weirdos. Um, so the book that I thought I was going to write was about a girl who felt that uh, her family didn't fit in um, to the town that they lived in. So, um, and then I didn't write that book <laughs> I wrote a different book Far. <laughs> yeah yeah there's still time <laughs> uh we, I guess yeah I could always go back to, I I don't I don't know you know I think that that was like a very specific time in my life when maybe I was feeling that so um that's probably why I started to write that book and then it ultimately wasn't as interesting as the book that I that I wrote so yeah we're going to talk uh, all kinds of about, about all kinds of stuff. We'll talk about uh, repairing the world, which esteemed audience can be ordering right now. Is probably available on the device you're listening to us on. Esteemed audience, get your copy. I just saw my friend uh, Jerry Gordon not long ago when I told him I was going to be talking to you, and mm -hmm. he wrote a book called Breaking the World. And I said, well, <laughs> the world. Linda's got repairing the world. Now we just need somebody to write maintaining the world, and Maybe. we can box set. 
you know, if we could really just maintain the world, we'd be in good shape. There we go. <laughs> book, or, book or no book, right? Uh, so you wanted to be a writer since you were a kid, right? What's your first memory of wanting to be an author? I think that like many girls my age, and I'm older than a lot of debut middle grade authors, um, uh, Little Women was my favorite book. And I really just uh, resonated with, uh, with Joe March, who was a writer. Um, so, yeah, so I think that, that she just seemed like the most interesting character in that book. I mean, because ostensibly that was Louisa Bay Alcott. So she made herself the most interesting character. Um, but that, you know, so, so I think that, um, that I, um, really looked to her, but interestingly, I didn't start writing fiction until I was way older. I was, I'm not one of these people who've been writing stories since I was a kid. I wrote poetry um, from the time I was a, a teenager um, through college. And then I, after college, I, I went to get a master's actually in poetry. Um, and halfway through, I was like, maybe this isn't for me. And then I kind of stopped writing for about 10 years and then started writing poetry again. And then after that, um, I had this like midlife crisis where I kind of decided I needed to do whatever the thing, the big thing was with my life. Um, so um, I started writing again and instead of poetry, uh, I started writing fiction, which was a total surprise to me. I always wanted to write a novel. You know, I kind of thought like, oh, I've got a, a novel in me. And then whenever I would sit down to write something, it would be like a page and a half. I guess it's another poem. So um, that's kind of, yeah kind of how it went for me and also because I was a writer it's it's what had me um start to work in publishing because I knew that um when I was looking for like the big thing for myself um that I, w I was going to go back to my first and true love which is books and reading so I wanted to just work with um with books and writers um and I didn't I think being an agent actually stopped me from, from writing for a long time because every time I would sit down to write something, I'd write down like five words and I'd be like, oh, that's not good because, and it, you know, it's like the long list of all the reasons why, you know, I would re reject manuscripts. So I, it was hard to get, get, get past my own, you know, inner critic. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't so easy to, to get here for me. Literary agent paralyzed by a fear of being rejected by a literary agent. So I, <laughs> rejected by myself. It was like I couldn't even get the words down on the page, you know? Nothing, it was like nothing was good enough, really. Um, every, every kind of like fault that I would, you know, as an agent, you read hundreds upon hundreds and upon hundreds of queries and manuscripts. And, you know, you only really end up taking on about 1% of them. So you see a lot of things that are uh, good, but not good enough, um, you know, as well as, you know, just okay or downright terrible. Um, there's not a lot of downright terrible, honestly. I think I, think I can see potential in almost anything. Um, but it's, it's, hard to get, it's hard to get out of your own way when, when you have that, that inner, the critic brain at work, which you have to have as an agent, so, you know. Sure.
So it's not getting too personal. What happened when you were writing poetry in college that, that, get, that made you stop? So it was in the master's program and um, it was very, I had always written poetry um, viscerally. So really it came from and still does come from uh, my own emotions and experience. Um, and when I was in this master's program, it was very kind of intellectual and academic. Um, and I think it was just the wrong program for me. So when I decided to leave the program, I think like in a way, I just felt like, like my creativity had been squashed out of me. Um, so, and it took a while for that to bounce back. I didn't completely stop, to, stop writing, but um, I mean, I, I write a lot of poetry now uh, for, you know, like for the adult audience, not, a, not for kids, but um, so yeah. I self-published a, a book of a uh, chapbook. So a poetry, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. When, uh, when did you do that? Uh, this year. <laughs> so yeah, it's called re like R E colon, like kind of like uh, regarding. Um, and it's just like a very slim volume. I'm going to put up, I'm in the midst of putting up by links on my, um, on my author web page which is lindaepsteinauthor.com. I think that's it. Oh my gosh. Probably should know that, but. I'm 95% certain that's correct from looking at I'm 95% <laughs> certain it's correct too, but you know. <laughs> On the off chance, we're wrong. I promise to put it in the show notes, esteemed audience, but you know, I'm going to move it up to 98.9%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, I, if I were someone who could actually multitask, I'd be checking it right now, but. I can't do that. I don't multi-get. I don't multitask very well. So, yeah. so I know that you got a bachelor of science in nursing, and then you also had an English major slash environmental studies. So a little bit of yeah. a bit of everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I started, you know, as a uh, as a young person. I I got I was an English major, and I was also really and am really um, interested in environmental issues. So that was a double major. And then um, when I was in my 40s, I actually went back to school and got the degree in nursing because I was, it was my intention to be a midwife. And I had had really uh, empowering childbirth experiences with, you know, having my children. Um, so I was going to be a midwife and I went and got myself a nursing degree, which was the first step in New York State to being a midwife. Um, and then really kind of found that uh, what I well, I didn't go on for the midwifery degree because reasons, lots of reasons. Um, but what I found was that I really enjoyed the studying and learning much more than the hands-on um, nursing. So um, I decided not to do that. Um, but I do think that ultimately um, it led me to where I am because when I realized that I wasn't going to use my nursing degree, I was like, well, what am I going to do? So I started um, writing a little bit for the American Journal of Nursing. And when I did that, that's when I started writing fiction also. It just like, it like um, inspired me in some way. It like jiggled something loose that had been stoppered, you know? Um, and I started writing fiction. Um, and, uh, and then I became an agent. And now I kind of feel like I'm in a way like a midwife of books. You know, it's like I bring all these like book babies out into the world 
and I, you know, kind of am with my with my authors in the same way, you know, supportive role as a midwife would be to someone giving birth. And actually, in repairing the world, my debut middle grade novel, which we are talking about, um, there is a, a birth in it. So, um, you know, it, it just kind of all came together for me. There's a lot of midwife for me, a lot of uh, a lot of environmental talk. Yeah. Uh, and then um, a lot of yoga. So I'm assuming you do yoga or are fond of yoga? I do yoga. I've been a beginner yoga person for like 35 years. <laughs> I'm happy being a beginner. <laughs> um, I do. I, I, um, I find that it's very centering um, and uh, I'm someone who really cares about people in the world. And I feel like um, yoga kind of uh, ties everything together in a way. I feel like I put every part of me into that, into repairing the world. I really do. I feel like there's so much of me in that book. Um, when people read it, who know me in real life, they, they just can't believe how much of me is in it. Um, and I've written other things that that's not the case. Um, but I think it's also why it's kind of nerve wracking and terrifying, dare I say, that it's going to be out in the world and people are going to be reading it because, you know, if they don't like it, does that mean, what does that mean about me? You know, and I know that as an agent, I tell my authors all the time, you know, your book is not you, but myself, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, this uh, should make you both a better writer and a, a better agent, right? For having had this experience. I think it really has made me a better agent. I think it's really made me a better agent. I think it's made me the entire process from writing it, um, finding an agent of my own, because you can't represent your own work, um, being on submission, um, going through the whole process of, editing and waiting and all of that um now that i've experienced it as a writer i have so much more empathy for my clients i really do because you know i was kind of i don't think i was harsh but i was i don't think i understood um just how emotional it can all be and it could and, and especially honestly especially once once it's accepted I was like, okay, now I'm good. But let's like, no, that's when it gets even more emotional, at least for me. <laughs> it was just, you know, every step of it was just, um, it was a lot. You know, and granted, you know, a lot of things were happening in my life and there was a pandemic. And, you know, so like, we, I think everyone's nerves were kind of, have been, you know, turned up a, a bit, but um, strangely. So like I had written a whole book and um, a book about someone who loses someone dear to them and is grieving. And um, the day before uh, I got, my agent got the offer for the book, um, my mom died. So, um, so I went, had to go back, you know, and do all of the revisions and all of the work um, on the book, actually grieving. Um, so that was, that was a lot, that was a lot. That is a crazy 24-hour roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. 
And of course, all my friends were like, your mom got up there in heaven and, and she said, come on, come on, buy my daughter's book. <laughs> it was like, okay, I don't know that I believe in that, but <laughs> I'll say so. <laughs> so yeah, it was a lot. It, it was a lot. Um, I know it's a really, really sad book. Um, I know that a lot of people, most of the people who read it, who I've spoken to, and I don't know if this was your experience, had been brought to tears. That wasn't my intention. My intention was to really um, write something true. And I think um, really writing something true when you're talking about uh, grief uh, can, can do that. It can really be gut-wrenching. Um, but I hope that the takeaway, that people aren't just left with sadness. You know, I hope that people are left with um, with seeing how you can you can make it through an experience like this. You know, everyone's going to lose someone in our lives. We're all going to lose someone. People die, right? Um, and I'm and I hope that that my book can help a kid or an adult, whoever who is reading it you know, see that, you know, you can, you can get through it. And there are, there are things you can do. You can reach out to other people. You can, you can, you know, do things that you, you didn't think you could ever, would ever do. Um, that, that's really my hope is I, I hope it, I, I wanted to make a difference for people. Um, so, yeah. You want to help people who are maybe also grieving or who are yet to yeah. grieve, but preparing yeah. for time. Yeah. Or even, yeah, because I mean, like I said, well, first of all, the pandemic, right? So everyone, a lot of people have died, right? So everyone is potentially could be going through that. There's, you know, I think kids, I think kids right now are, are, are more fragile than ever because of what we've been going through as a, as a, a world, right? Um, so, and I think that also, even if you haven't lost someone yourself, um, I think what books do is they create empathy, right? So um, if someone's reading my book and maybe they didn't experience a loss themselves, but there are other people around them who, who have, um, and then, you know, that gives them tools, you know, empathy is a, a tool for like connecting with people. So that's, that's really kind of, um, I mean, I don't, I don't think I like sat down and said, I'm going to write a book about grief and then this is what I want people to get out of it. But, you know, now, when I think about it, that is what I want people to get. I want people, I want people to be like inspired um, to be able to deal with hard things and make connections and know that you know um, there are people out there who who will be there for them, and they might not know them yet. They might not even know the people who are going to be there for them. So, so. Um... Well, a lot of questions um, uh, about the book and about you starting to write. Let's start with the book and we'll circle back and talk about uh, what getting serious about writing uh, looks like and, and getting to this point of having a, a debut novel launching. Sure. Um, you're about to experience a whole new emotional phase of this once you start getting widespread reader feedback uh, and folks come back to you. Yeah, it's, um, it's even now, you know, with people uh, reading advanced reader copies, um, when people write things like on Twitter, um, I just keep thanking everyone. I'm just like, thank you for reading my book. Thank you for reading. I know that at some point I'm going to have to stop because hopefully there'll be too many people to thank. 
Um, but I'm just really grateful that people are, are reading it and seem to be responding well. I got a good Kirkus review and that was really exciting because um, Kirkus can be a little bit harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting deadly quiet. Like I would like for the record to say that I think Kirkus is a wonderful publication and I have nothing but- I do, <laughs> I, I, do, I do too, I do too. But I, I think that, I, do, I, I think that, um, um, you know, when you get a good review and they're only saying good things, it's really meaningful. You know, when you get a good review and it's kind of like you have to do pull quotes, like, oh, these, these are the good things they said and those are the bad things they said or the not great things they said. And my review wasn't that way at all. It was just, it was just all good. And it was such a surprise to me because I was, you know, I was expecting something really critical because that's what they're known for. They're known for being critical. I don't mean critical like in a bad way necessarily, you know, but just like really critical. And I didn't get any of that. And it was, it was just such a surprise to me. Um, I mean, I don't think I wrote a bad book, but I, you know, you, you expect criticism. So. Yeah. yeah, they're hard to impress, but you've impressed them. So well done. Who knew? <laughs> so, um, with the book Ruby uh, and, and Daisy, we spend some time with them before the, I don't know, the exciting incident uh, is what I would call the death of one of the characters, but maybe I'm wrong. Is that, do you think that's the inciting incident or does it happen before that? I think that, um, I think we could call that the inciting incident. And I think that it probably even says what happens on the back jacket. So I don't think we, you know, I don't think it's a spoiler to say um, that this is a book about Daisy and her friend Ruby dies. I, you know, it's, it's a, it's not really a spoiler because it's on, it's, it's right there on the cover. Um, My advanced reader copy says, then the unthinkable happens. So as I was, (laughs) did I just spoil it then? How spoilery do we want to get? this part out? I don't know. I better read the jacket copy again. If I say there's a death, have I have I ruined the book? I don't think so. I think that I don't, I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that. Um, I don't think it will spoil it. I really don't. It's you know, and I wouldn't want anyone going into reading the book thinking that they were reading. Like I would like having that take someone by surprise would almost be mean. You know what I mean? Not everyone wants to read a book like that. So. On the other hand, if that if they miss that, they don't read the back and they get in there, hey, maybe you wouldn't have read it, but you're in it now. Right. <laughs> you might right. as well go right. through it and, and complete this emotional journey. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when did you know that this was going to be a book centered around death? Was that, did you, I mean, do you start with an initial idea uh, plot or? So here's what happened. Uh, I was trying to write this novel. Um, and because I'm an agent um, and busy with that, and because, um, you know, I'd written a manuscript before, but it was, it was really hard for me to, um, to kind of like gauge how much I actually knew about writing a novel. I, like reading and critiquing, which is part of being an agent, I knew that that was a strong you know, like I knew that that's a strength of mine, but like the creation I was, um, I was very insecure about. So I decided that I would get some structure 
because I do well with structure. Um, and I applied to an MFA program um, uh, at the new school in New York City. And I uh, wrote the beginning of the novel, um, which was what I worked on in the MFA program. Um, side note, don't think you need an MFA to write a novel. I think many people don't have an MFA, don't have a college degree. Like I, that is just what I did. But that's, that's what worked for me. So I got some structure um, by being in this MFA program. And in the final semester, uh, we had to write a thesis. And basically, we had to, you didn't have to write the whole novel, but you had to write a good chunk of it. I think like, like, like the first 75 pages or something like that. I don't remember. Um, but I went into um, the first meeting with my thesis advisor um, with like, I think, 50 pages. And, you know, we talked and realized that like 30 of those pages were going in the garbage. So I kind of really um, went back and then um, through critique with, you know, my um, fellow students, um, I was really looking, it was, it was still that book weirdos. Like at that point it was still weirdos. Um, and um, my, my, uh, classmates were like but like why is she that way why is she that way why is she that way just like looking at the main character and um and what I did was I wrote a series of vignettes um about Daisy like things that had happened to her when she was growing up um and they were things that had happened to me as when I was growing up um because where I write is from a personal place um, and they were like, like fictionalized, but you know, like I lost a friend when I was in second grade, totally different situation. Um, but I, I, what I saw was that what was at the heart of this character was all of these losses. And I guess that was something that I experienced. So it ended up that, um, that one of the vignettes was, you know, the one about losing a friend uh, really resonated and from there um I reluctantly dug in and my thesis advisor um who was Jill Santopolo who is an amazing editor um I said to her um but do we really need like another book about a kid losing their best friend I said you know we have you know uh uh Oh my gosh. Two books that I love. Bridge to Tiervithia, maybe? No, which my book has been compared to, which I don't even, don't even, I don't. I know the um, Question of Miracles by Alana Arnold and The Thing About Jellyfish by um, two fantastic books, like really, really fantastic books um, about kids who lose their best friends. So I said to to Jill, I was like, you know, we don't, you know, we have these two amazing books. Why do we need another book? And what she said was, but we don't have a book about a kid who loses their best friend written by you. I was like, what am I going to bring to it? Right. Well, turns out very different things than those other two books brought. Um, so I, I just trusted her um, and I trusted myself and I, I just wrote, wrote the thing. And then, you know, um, I also never intended to write a book. I didn't know I was going to write a book that had all of these Jewish elements in it. But, you know, when I was dealing with a kid who was grieving, 
um, I went back to my own culture um, and, and, you know, lean, just leaned in really heavily to my own culture. Um, and um, so the book has a lot of Jewish elements in it, um, which I hope uh, will also be um, something that kids can take away. Jewish kids will be able to see themselves and their you know, culture, even though there's so many ways of being Jewish, to have Jewish characters in a, in a book is good for Jewish kids. And then for, you know, kids who aren't Jewish to like be exposed to a different culture um, and a different, you know, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. And what's that word? I better Google that, you know? Um, so, uh, but none of it was intentional. Like I didn't start out saying, I'm going to do this. You know, I just, I just really um, lean when, when things came up, when opportunities came up, like, Oh, maybe I'll put a Jewish prayer in here. I just leaned all the way into it. Um, and I just trusted that it would work. I don't know how I trusted it would work, but I did. Because <laughs> like other writers, I am riddled with self-doubt. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully all of your uh, clients and, and future clients are listening and they're, they're they're just feeling this great relief come over them like yes she knows she she feels what we feel you know i i talk to my clients a lot so they know <laughs> i also am not shy on twitter so you know all of that self-doubt gets tweeted out into the universe like everyone else does it's wonderful to watch so something uh, about, the, about the story, now that I know that we can, we don't have to call it the unthinkable, we can call it the death. Yeah. Um, which is the inciting incident. There's, there's some things that happen thematically mm -hmm. that set us up later, but it mm -hmm. is uh, ways that I didn't do an exact page count, maybe 50, 60 pages before we get to that. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're spending some time with the girls. They're watching Captain Marvel, which reminded mm -hmm. me, oh, I need to watch Captain Marvel again. It's been too long since. Everyone should. <laughs> So yeah, I, yeah I, your your enthusiasm came through like, oh, that's not casual. Linda Epstein must be a Captain Marvel fan. I'm a I'm a Marvel cinematic. I'm a Marvel fan. I really am. And I I I um describe myself as um I love Marvel movies, even the bad ones. And I think, you know, because some of them, you know, were from a long time ago and maybe aren't as um uh sensitive as they could be now. Um uh, but I just, I love, I love, I wasn't a comics reader, but I love like comic book movies. I lean more towards Marvel than DC. I don't know why I just do. Um, and I also, I really, what I love about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is when you look at all of these movies, um, what they did is they told this gigantic story, right? Um, and you didn't, you didn't really know that like, you know, Thor would somehow be connected to, um, Iron Man. I mean, like eventually, you know, Avengers, they all, all these characters come together, but when you look at like, and it's like a lot of movies, right? It's like, there are character arcs that get spun out over the different movies. There are, um, narrative arcs, a like a, this big story, um, and, as a writer, I just find it so inspiring and interesting. Um, and I have comic books that I'm so 
so I couldn't help putting, like I said, I, I, a li there's a little bit of me in, in the, like so much of me in that book. There's like a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and the Jewish thing and the Marvel thing and, you know, the yoga thing. So, yeah. I love the interconnected universe, except when I don't. Uh, my <laughs> would be like for the Defenders. I absolutely love the world of Daredevil. That's probably my favorite Marvel character. Neck and neck with Spider-Man for my favorite Marvel character. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love Jessica Jones, love Luke Cage, really don't care for Iron Fist. So, oh, why is his terrible universe intertwined with my favorite characters? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I have favorite characters. I, you know, I, I do lean towards the, the strong female characters because I like to think of myself as a strong female character and I like to write strong female characters. So. And the other thing um, comes along is when uh, you're dealing with somebody like uh, I just saw the Doctor Strange. Like, oh my God, there's a multiverse of madness. This I didn't see it. Oh, no spoilers. But the, the common thing <laughs> for all of the post Avengers Marvel movies is that this feels mm -hmm. like an Avengers level threat. Why don't you call your friends? Where are they at? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just started rewatching um, again. I think I'm like, you know, from beginning to end, I start with Iron Man and, um, and go through. There are two different ways you can watch the Marvel movies. You know, you can watch them in the order that they came out, um, which I kind of like to do. Um, or you can watch them in the, or like in the chronological order. So like the first one being um, Captain Marvel. Uh, Captain Marvel, I'm sorry. Uh, Captain America. Captain America, because that you know is set back in the um, in uh, during World War Two, um, and then you know, and then you have Captain Marvel, which is like the eighties. So um, yeah, so I'm I'm doing it again. I think I, I think it's the third or fourth time I've done it. So it's fine. Technically, now uh, the Tobey Maguire Spider Man is the first Marvel movie. Technically, since he's through right. no way home, he's the, now the first, the first event. Right. <laughs> so Although the Eternals maybe is the I don't know. I can't figure out the. Oh, I don't know either. Yeah. I, I jury's out for me on the Eternals. I'm not sure about that. I know that they've been around long enough that they're. I think they're technically all the first Marvel characters. Right. That. I I just mean the jury's out for whether I enjoy that. <laughs> but you just know, you talking like we're not on a podcast. I fell asleep. I know. <laughs> Let's just talk about Marvel. Oh yeah, I wrote a middle grade book. <laughs> <laughs> Well, everybody likes a nice little Marvel diversion. The uh, yeah. question I wanted to ask about the structure of this novel is because there, I mean, there's a then it. A, magical incident shall we say that happens in the forest that's going to be thematically important that we're going to revisit later right we agree that the inciting incident is more or less uh the the death and mm -hmm. we don't we don't open at a funeral we don't start mm -hmm. with the inciting incident there's a right. um a bit of fuse that leads up to that explosion i, I don't know if that's the right metaphor for this um, oh, i, I have ideas why you did that but i want to hear from the author herself why'd you do that um, I hadn't done it as much as, uh, as ended up in the book and I was asked to do more. I was, I was told, uh, by my editor that, um, we need to see Ruby and Daisy on the page more. We really need to really like get their friendship. Um, so that when, 
the unthinkable happens, um, you really get the loss. It's not just, you know, like this. So like the reader um, experiences the loss because they see this wonderful friend who they've started to like, really like, because she, she's a likable character. She's a little magical herself, right? Um, and then she's gone like that. Um, and it, it takes time to do that. Um, it takes time to uh, kind of like bring your reader in to care. Can't, you can't do that like in a chapter, I don't think. And well, maybe I did think that. And then I was told, no, you can't do write more. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> So how did you and your editor then decide how much uh, lead time prior to your inciting incident was necessary to make sure the reader felt that loss? It wasn't like, you know, write 20 more pages. It was just more like, we need to see this and we need to see that and we need to see more of this. And and I, I don't really remember, I think I also moved some stuff around. Like maybe I took some stuff that I had written um, as flashbacks and moved it up front. So a lot of it was, not a lot, but I think some of it, maybe like a third of, the, of that beginning was stuff that I had had Daisy remembering. Um, and instead of remembering it, uh, we did it as, um, you know, being in it. So. Of course, if we're reading it and it's a flashback and we already know who's going to survive and who's not, that puts us at a little bit of a distance. Now we don't want to get attached because we know what's coming. Whereas if you do it before, then we experience right. it without, we're assuming we haven't read the back cover or listened to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're reading it unaware that this, this thing is coming, which so are the girls. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of how it is in life, right? A lot of times you just don't know that something like that's going to happen. It just, um, whether it's a death or, you know, there are, there are surprises that aren't good surprises in life that happens. And I think that, you know, any tools we can give kids um, and grownups um, to help us navigate that kind of stuff um, without being didactic. Like I, I, I really didn't want to be didactic. I, I, as a kid, I, I didn't like didactic books, you know, um, I wanted to be, I, when I, as a reader, I want to be so invested in the story that I forget that I'm reading. And um, it's hard to write a book like that, um, like intentionally, because how do you do it? How do you know if, how do you know if you're succeeding? Um, I don't know. I mean, I suppose even if you win every award there ever is and uh, you make all the money, you still don't really know. There would be that would be good indicators though. <laughs> sure. no, I, 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 would, I wouldn't mind those indicators. <laughs> I like indicators that was like very that. welcome. Yeah. Yeah. I've just met too many uh, authors who who I would think um, have every reason to think yes, it's all happened for me. I'm the best. There can't be any better than this, and they don't feel that way. There's they there's don't. still some voice in the back of their head, and I think that's probably a good thing. Because mm -hmm. the moment you start thinking I am the best, you're you're about to stop being the best. Right. Right. I think that um and I think that that's something that writers really that you know unpublished writers um 
should know, right? That like once you get the agent, you're not on easy street. Once you get the book sale, you're not on easy street. You know, like once you win the whatever award, you're not on easy street because because ultimately what happens is then you have to write the next thing. And what do you have when you write the next thing? A blank screen or a blank piece of paper. Then you have to go back to that, the beginning of like creating something out of nothing. So it's, it, um, I think being a writer can be humbling in a way. And I think that like, when you allow yourself to be humbled, by it, <laughs> you're probably in a better place than being like, you know, I got this. Um, maybe that's just me. I don't know. I don't know. I always say if the two writers tell me we always approach every problem this way and we always do things this way and we're always successful. I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'm doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But the problem, the problem with that is that it, that it does that the same things don't work for everyone. You know, like, like the advice you have to write every day in order to stay in it. You have to write every day. You know what? I don't write every day. I'm a weekend warrior. I can't write every day. Um, it's just not, I can't, um, I can't immerse myself for like an hour in the morning. I need like hours because it takes me a while to like really get in it. Um, so like when I'm really writing, um, in the midst of really writing something, um, I'm writing Saturday and Sunday and, you know, if it's, summertime <laughs> on Fridays too um, because publishing Fridays you know <laughs> so, so I mean, what's that what's a what's a good writing day look like for you oh gosh um lots of coffee um it's always better if it's not nice out um so I don't get distracted um and uh if I'm just like home if I could get in a couple of hours and then take a break and then get in another couple of hours, um, I couldn't tell you word counts because sometimes it would be like, you know, two, 3000. And sometimes it'll be like 567. You know, I'm, I don't, I'm not a fast drafter. I, I, I think a lot while I'm writing. Um, and I also kind of like, um, like research things. I'm like constantly looking things up while I'm writing and I, I do get distracted, but it, I think it also really informs my, I think it gives a richness to my writing that wouldn't otherwise be there. Um, details of things, you know, um, a name of a plant, you know, a, a, a bird or a color, what's the right word for the color I'm thinking of, you know? So I don't, so I'm not a fast drafter. Um, so what is a, a good, a good writing day is, um, is that I set out to, that I, I don't know. I don't, I couldn't even tell you that like at the end of the day, I'm like, yeah, that's not so bad. <laughs> that's about, that's about as, as good as the, as it gets you. That's not so bad. <laughs> I rarely say I nailed it, you know, but uh, like, that's not so bad. <clears throat> and then um, going on retreats is really, I wrote a lot of this book um, on retreats. Um, I would go to the Highlights Foundation in uh, Pennsylvania, and I got I wrote a lot of this book there. Um, and when I wasn't there, I I 
did Airbnb with a writing buddy a few times. Um, because then it's, it's like, you know, let's have breakfast and then we're going to write, let's have lunch and then we're going to write, let's have dinner. And then we're going to write, um, and, you know, maybe like read to each other and just like, um, having the time away from my regular life really, really helps me because, you know, as an agent, I've got so many stories swirling around in my head, um, from, uh, people who are submitting things to me. So I'm reading queries, I'm reading manuscripts. I've got my clients stuff that they're sending to me. Um, I've got uh, that I'm reading and then manuscripts that I'm critiquing for them and giving, you know, like giving them feedback on. So I have all of that happening and then I'm supposed to be creating something out of nothing. Right. So it's kind of like um, separating myself from all of that and just saying, okay, I'm, just being a writer at this place during these hours um, is really, really helpful for me. I know that some writers um, will avoid reading other fiction while they're writing because they don't want any kind of, um, any, any bleeding in or influencing their style. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't feel that way. I feel the greater author influences me to be even close to them. Great, that's nothing but gain for esteemed audience. <laughs> but um, I do know some people feel that. Do you worry about some some crossover from all those things that you're reading influencing you as you're writing? Um, I don't um, because there's all of that stuff that I just said, and then there's pleasure reading because I got into this game because I like to read, right? <laughs> um, and what when I'm writing, so this is a middle grade novel. Um, I was not reading middle grade novels. I was reading YA. Um, and then uh, I worked on a, I wrote a YA manuscript and I was only reading middle grade novels. I don't, I don't like to, I, and you know, like my client's work is, is separate and different um, because I'm, it's like whatever they're writing, I'm reading. Um, but somehow um, I was able to separate that. I don't really know them brain mechanism that did that but um somehow somehow the I feel like the the pleasure reading um there's more of a chance of of, of that of being like influenced and also I get demoralized <laughs> like like I'm reading things by these authors that I really really admire and you know like middle grade authors and I'm like well I can't do that and it's that same voice that stopped me from writing in the first place. You know, write a sentence like, oh, that's not as good as, you know, this author's amazing words. So, And of course, you're comparing your first draft to their, their final finished edited draft. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Nice yeah. and rational, the writer brain. Let's <laughs> play uh, <laughs> those games. You know, the thing is that we are creative. So we have like wonderful ways of torturing ourselves, right? We just create them out of nothing oh, do you get the opposite boost when you're reading through your query pile and like this is terrible this is awful i'm so much better than this oh my god my my, my stuff is not the direct i thought it was obviously look at this <laughs> i don't i don't think i don't think i um i think i, I don't think i really compare myself to what comes into my inbox um I don't know why I just, I just never have, and I don't. Um, but also that's 
kind of like when I'm going through queries, I don't, I never, that's the, that's not the conversation that goes through my head um, of like this stinks and that stinks and the other one stinks. It's more like, I'm not looking for things that stink. I'm looking for things that are great. So I'm, I'm really looking for the gold. You know what I mean? So even if, you know, like a query letter is like, it's not a great query letter, um, but it's, but I'm like, wait, but there's something here that's really interesting. What is it? And then like, I read the pages and then even if the pages if aren't like as polished as they could be, but there's something that like, I'm always looking for the gold. Um, and, and, um, and I think most, honestly, I think most agents are, we're not like sitting around like, how many people can I reject? You know, it's more like, you know, find something, you know, good today. Am I going to, you know, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for good things, not, not for bad things. So, um, what would you do if you got a query and it was, I don't know, my book is called Fixing Up the World. <laughs> it's incredibly similar. Plot. <laughs> um, I have gotten queries um, that were incredibly similar to um, things that my clients were writing. Um, and if it's too similar, for me, I end up rejecting it because it's like I'm already working on something that's very similar. Um, so, uh, so that does, that does happen. Um, and I think that also people do query me knowing, you know, uh, well, the, the kind of books that I represent, but also knowing, you know, the kind of book that I wrote, I think people, um, who are writing, you know, middle grades in the Jewish, you know, like with Jewish content, I, you know, I get a lot of those submissions. I want those submissions, but I think I get them because of what I, because of what I've, I've written. Um, and and I think that's I think that's okay, you know, I think that's okay. So you um, you get your nursing degree, but then you decide to become a literary agent. How is how does that come about, and how is that your path back toward writing? So, so really, the way the way that came about was I I really well I decided not to get the midwifery degree. I got the nursing degree, and then I kind of you know. I tried a couple of nursing jobs and realized that I was really not suited for it. Um, like in a deep, deep way. I'm someone who suffers from anxiety and the anxiety of being uh, responsible in that particular way with like life, life or death um, was, it really just wasn't for me. So when I started, you know, writing for the American Journal of Nursing and then, you know, uh, started writing fiction and then decided, you know, well, you know, I'm, I really want to work in publishing. Um, and then, uh, and then I was an unpaid intern for two years, um, reading for other agents. Um, this was a dozen years ago, 12, 13 years, 14 years ago. Um, around 2011 thereabouts. Yeah. Um, and I, I, that's what I did. I, I just read for other agents. I put myself out there and I was like, you know, I, I, I can't even remember how I, how I got the first one, but um, I did that. And then um, finally I was at an agency where, uh, where I said, you know, like I really, I was reading for, for an agent at one agency. And then I was, 
I really wanted to move on. It had been like two years of this, right? Um, so I, you know, put my feelers out and I kind of um, looked for a position as a as an intern where that would lead to something more. And um, <clears throat> it became really obvious very quickly to the uh, agent that I was working for that um, that I was good at this. Um, so I became, you know, she said that I could, um, start my own list. Um, and I did. And, um, within a few months I sold my first book, which was Openly Straight by Bill Konigsberg. Beautiful, beautiful book. Are um, you writing at the time or is the hope that agent? Oh gosh, no. That, that's <laughs> no. going to fulfill that, that need? That, no, you know what? Because because even though like I was I had started writing fiction I hadn't really started writing novels, um, I was writing short stories and I was, um, you know just ex- just like kind of writing short stories really, uh, and when I look at them they weren't very good, <laughs> um, but it was it was something brand new to me because like I said I was someone who had only written poetry so I didn't really know how to tell a story over you know. 200 pages I knew how to talk about an, an emotion for you know 30 lines um so I, so I think I started learning how to tell a story um and then I think after years of agenting like years of agenting I really learned like what works and what doesn't work um I think for me like when I when I got the MFA what I needed to do was I needed to like Put those two things together so like I knew that I was creative and I knew that I um I knew that I could write you know like I I'm, I don't mean to be like braggy but like I did I knew I knew that I could write um and I knew what made um a, a store like a, a book a good book because I had you know helped midwife all these books out into the world right but putting those two things together for myself as a creator um that was what I needed to help with. And that's why, that's why, why I got the MFA because I needed to like put those two sides together. Um, so I was an agent for, for, I think five years, five years before I went and got the MFA, that was two years. So I was an agent for like seven years and then it took me a while to finish it after the MFA. So I was probably an agent for about eight years, maybe nine years before um before this book you know started really germinating and really you know getting my own agent and stuff like that and can I tell you querying was really really weird (laughs) um because I was basically querying people who were my colleagues and if you think it's bad getting rejected by strangers it's really weird getting rejected by like your colleagues and sometimes your friends you know that was really weird didn't like it. <laughs> didn't like I'm assuming it. they're at the very least not sending you a form rejection. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't get. Well, I did get a couple of no responses. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't run into you at a conference bar. <laughs> Maybe they're hoping you'll believe that the uh, the inbox ate it or it just never came through. Huh? Some some technical mystery. <laughs> I don't know. I know. Does seem. Well, I'm, I'm curious um, just about getting the MFA program. I'm assuming word gets out that you're an agent. 
do you then have fellow students sidling up to you and like, hey, how you doing? You want to read some of my work? Nope. Or professors? Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope, because um, one of the things that uh, I made really, really clear, um, you know, the, the um, Writing for Children and Young Adults cohort it, at the new school was very small. And um, I was like, hey, listen, you know, I'm an agent, but I'm here to learn just as much as you are. You know, I wasn't any, I wasn't, I, I wasn't even the best. I definitely wasn't the best writer in the cohort. Um, some brilliant writers. Um, but I basically, you know, made a promise to myself. And I don't think it, it wasn't like official, but like basically to the university and said, you know, in my two years in this program, I'm not taking on anyone on the program. So Gotcha. Yeah. And you do a similar policy. I know you teach creative writing and, and do workshops. Do you, do you I put do. policy up there for students? I mean, I wouldn't really, um, I certainly wouldn't take anyone on during the, during a course. Right. <clears throat> but that being said, you know, I've, I've had, I've worked with people whose work I've really admired. And I would say something like, well, when you finish this, I hope you query me. Right. Um, now you know me, right? So now you can, you know, query me and I know you and, you know, that always helps, right? It's nice to know that, that it's a nice person. I mean, you know, like you'd be a great manuscript, but if the person is like, you know, hard to work with or whatever, that, that's always not great. So, um, yeah, so I, would, I don't really. rejected by friends and colleagues. <laughs> so, say that again? I said, well, you say it always helps to know you, but you told me you got rejected by friends and colleagues. So <laughs> I know that's why I, t- I, but I, the first thing I said was that it was really weird. <laughs> it was, it was really weird. So when you yeah. decide that you need to find a literary agent because you can't represent yourself and you can't head anybody else up in, at, at Emerald City, mm-hmm. um, you gotta, you gotta find somebody else. How do you go about looking for one? Um, so what I did was, um, I kind of did what, what everyone does, really. Um, I looked to see who represented the kind of books that I, the books the, that I had written. So um, someone who represents middle grade, obviously, right? Um, that's really the bare minimum is like when you're querying, send your material to people who represent what you write. Um, but then also, you know, people who are right, who are representing um, realistic contemporary. Um, I was interested in um, in people who I thought would understand what I was trying to do. Um, uh, so, you know, my book is not like a really commercial book, right? Um, it's quiet. It's a little bit literary. Um, it's got, you know, like spirituality in it. It's got, you know, birth in it. Um, it's got things in it that um, not every agent and not every publisher would be interested in. So I tried to um, really target people who I thought would get it. Um, and the way that I... Uh, the way that I kind of like knew who would and who wouldn't was looking at the kinds of things that they represent, but also um, on Twitter, because I, I, I really 
when Twitter's not a trash fire, I really enjoy it there. Um, so um, middle grade Twitter's kind of nice, nice people. And I'm assuming that you're also, when you're looking at literary agents, you're also, I mean, you know, literary agents, you are a literary agent. You're going to make sure you're going to know that they, they can sell this book. They have Absolutely. A, so how are you evaluating that ahead of time? Are these people you've, you've met or? Um, I hadn't met everyone that I, that I queried, um, but I certainly, um, everyone that I queried had a sales record. Um, I think, and also everyone that I queried was at an, an established agency, um, an agency that had um, multiple agents, and that's not important. It's like you can you can query, you know, like a an agent who's like just a single agent. But like, um, it was. I was really careful, and I think that everyone should be really careful to make sure that like when you're querying, you're querying someone who's legitimate, and someone who who you know like oh they sold all of those things. And if they're a newer agent, that's fine. But you want like a newer agent should be at an established agency with established agents. Cause otherwise, how are they learning it? How do they know how to do it? Right. So, you know, knowing that um, and giving that advice to, to writers all the time, you know, because um, even though not every manuscript is for me or even for the other agents at my agency, I, I really, really have a commitment to, um, to writers, getting you know matching up with with someone who who's right for them so i do i love to give advice i love you know i i'll do like an ask agent on twitter or whatever um i taught you know courses at you know conferences and stuff just about on query letters and stuff like that i i, I like making a difference for people um so i think i just did all the things that i tell people, you know, be, beware, you know, like these are the red flags and, you know, make sure it's an established agency and like that. So. Gotcha. Uh, and since we're talking about finding an agent, I know esteemed audience has waited patiently, but I should also ask how actively, I know as we record this, you're close to queries, but at some point you're yeah. going to open up again. How actively are you seeking clients and what types of projects are you looking for? Um, I don't know when I'm going to open up again. Um, I've been closed for a long time um, and I'm probably going to stay closed for a while because I'm doing other things at the agency. Um, you know, I'm uh, selling film and television rights for the agency. So that takes up my time. And then I'm going to be promoting my book. <laughs> so that takes up time. Um, um, so like, and also what happens is like, if I speak at a conference or something like that, a lot of conferences will be like, you know, and can you be open to submissions? And it's like, I'm like, sure. So then I'm open to submissions and I get, you know, 30 submissions in my inbox. And then I've got 30 submissions to go through and it, it, I'm doing all these other things. So um, I can't do it as quickly as, as usual. Um, so it's easy to be closed and still to be closed to submissions and still have submissions. You know what I mean? Um, but like what I look for, um, I'm very interested in supporting, um, and representing, uh, BIPOC authors, black and indigenous people of color, um, because I'm very, very committed to, um, 
evening the playing field. Um, and also because I really love diversity of stories. Like as a reader, I love that. I love learning something about another culture, um, another type of, of, of living, a point of view that I'd never thought of or didn't know anything about. Um, it's kind of like what I, what I feel like I, I tried to do in my own book, right? Is that um, it's just kind of like have Jewish characters just living their lives being Jewish. It's not like about being Jewish, right? But that it's 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 informed by um, their identities, right? Um, and that's what I look for in representing other books is like really um, stories where that are informed by the author's identities. I just, I love that. I just, it could be realistic. It could be fantasy. It could be science fiction. It could be a mystery. I just, I find it like, like food, you know, like I like to taste all different kinds of food. It's, it's like that. I like to learn things. Um, so that's kind of what I look for um, when I'm, when I'm looking for, um, for new projects. Uh, and mostly middle grade and young adult. Um, I have a bunch of writers, you know, clients who write picture books um, and I'm selling their picture books and that's wonderful and lovely. Um, so I kind of feel like in order to keep my list balanced, I don't need more of that. So I'm rarely open to picture books, um, you know, unless somehow something came my way that was just like, but you never saw this. <laughs> like, you're right. I never did. And I want it, you know? So kind of like that. Well, I try to give every agent the opportunity for all the agencies we, we, we could choose. Um, why is Emerald City uh, the best one for a esteemed audience to, to, to consider? Oh, well, first of all, because we are really, really committed to... Um, we are author first. So Mandy Hubbard, who started the agency, was an author before she was an agent. Um, tons of uh, YA books published. Um, so she brought that to the agency when she um, created it. Um, just like how I'm now, I, I can see both sides because I'm, I'm gonna be a published author. She started the agency like that. She started the agency knowing what it's like to be an author, knowing what it's like to be on the other side. So everything that we do as an agency um, is informed by that. Um, we're small, which is also nice because um, you get really individualized um, attention. And um, we all kind of, do a little slightly different things, you know, like I don't really like murdery kind of things, you know, like there are other agents who like that, you know, I'm strong on the picture books um, and, you know, and I do that. And I also support the junior agents in, in, who are interested in picture books and doing that. Um, we're very collaborative. So, you know, when you, when you get an Emerald City literary agent, you're getting the whole agency. You're not just getting that agent. And I don't think every agency is like that. Um, you know, we really, really support each other. Um, the, and the junior agents, um, you know, Mandy and I, who are the senior agents, um, support the junior agents. So we're not like having like an intern become an agent and then saying, okay, go do it. 
you know, we're um, co-representing stuff with them um, until they feel confident enough and have the knowledge really um, to do a great job, you know, for, for a client because we're, we're really, really author first. That's, I don't know how to like explain it. Cause I, I think like every agency probably might think that, but um, I think because Mandy and I are both writers, um, we just have like a different like point of view about it. And, and that's what um, we, we work together to um, train the junior agents in, in being that way as well. And you do uh, the film and television. So that's, that means you're specializing in meeting from people from Hollywood. Uh, you're selling rights, even if there's never going to be a film project. What, what does a film and, and television rights agent do with your day? So, so what I do is um, I do different things. Um, one thing that I do is um, I kind of have the database of like um, both there are film and television agents like at big agencies, right? That only represent that. Um, so um, what I do is I will set up our, our clients books with those agents, right? So then they're our co-agent and, but like what, what I do is I'm like the Emerald City literary hand that is held um, through the project. Um, and also sometimes, you know, like um, a client could have a book being represented by a particular agent at, at an agent, you know, film and television agent at an agency, and then they don't, they're not interested in doing the next book. So I, I find who is interested in doing the next book. And then also um, sometimes we'll get um, interest from production companies, um, scouts and stuff like that. So I field all of that stuff. Um, I send stuff out to production companies and producers and um, it's really, really fun. But like Hollywood is very, very different than publishing. I, I couldn't even tell you how, but they're even, and you know, you know that you can always tell in the Hollywood people who came up from publishing. Cause you know, basically I'm dealing with like, you know, book to film people and not all the book to film people started in publishing that some of them started in Hollywood. And it's like the book people are just clearly book people. And then the Hollywood people are exactly what you would think Hollywood people are like. So I don't know. Um, so what does my day look like? You know, it's never like, it's, it's any day of, never looks the same because it's always like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of, you know, um, working with my clients, you know, dealing with teaching, you know, creating something that I'm going to be teaching, um, dealing with like film and television stuff, emails and emails and emails coming in from like, you know, publishers or, or um, clients or when I'm open to queries, the queries, oh my gosh, it just feels like flooded, 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 flooded. It's, it, it can be very overwhelming for me. Well, it's my experience, and it's anecdotal as this is, that Hollywood people tend to end conversations with, have you thought of acting? Have you ever thought about writing for such and such a project? That might be great. I'll talk to you later. And I know <laughs> they don't mean it. It's never going to come up again. It's just their way of saying a nice compliment. Hey, we had a great conversation. Oh, well, I appreciate the compliment. And that's all I'm going to take it, because if I read into it anymore than that, it's just going to be disappointment. <laughs> 
I, I haven't had that experience. <laughs> Maybe that's just you. It may might be. <laughs> Maybe I gotta stop in the conversations with Hey, can I write for your, your TV show? And then that will stop that. <laughs> or get you a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, one of the know, one right? One, one uh, of the above. Well, I'm assuming that uh, repairing the world is out there somewhere um, for movie or television consideration, right? Uh, uh, my agent tells me that is the case. Um, uh, like I said, I don't think, I don't, listen, if someone wants to make a book or a series out of my, I mean, a film or a series out of my book, that would be amazing. I don't know that it is, has enough like um, commercial, it's not commercial, you know, it's really, it would have to be someone who really uh, knew how to spin it that, that to like sell tickets, you know? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it could make a beautiful movie, but you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> I say that about every, almost every book though, that I, you know, that, that I'm sending out um, from our agency, you know, I can envision a film or series um, from most of the things that I send out. Not, I mean, I don't, not everything. Some are stronger than others, right? I don't, I don't think I have the objectivity to know whether my own uh, could do that or not. That's why, that's why agents can't represent their own work. Well, you know? let's, uh, let's hit on that theme a little bit. Then we'll, we'll start to think about winding this thing down because uh, we're coming up on our time. It just flies by. Yeah. Where, where's it all go? Um, but I do love the idea of uh, the doctor becomes the patient. The literary agent becomes the author. Your yeah. literary agent is Rena Rosner, right? She is. And she's also an author. <laughs> so, okay. Well, she knows your pain. Um, <laughs> she does. <laughs> How how informed is she keeping you about the submissions? Now, how are you fighting the temptation to say, "Well, I would have done this when you when you heard that"? <laughs> well, <laughs> so that um, interesting. You would think that because I'm an agent, I would understand that things take a long time and we're like, have to wait for things. If you were to think that you would be wrong because I am like every other author, I'm totally neurotic and I'm sending her, you know, emails saying like, but have we checked on this? But, you know, do you think, and, and she just is a saint um, and answers me. It's kind of funny because it's almost as if she goes into my sent file of the things that I've said to my own clients and then she <laughs> says them to me right um it's just it's just ridiculous because um because I'm terrible I'm I'm, I'm I'm just as neurotic as as every other writer and I'm just as impatient and I just don't you know and I get annoyed at all the same things and I just don't understand why but, but you know like you would think that I wasn't an agent <laughs> it's ridiculous so she she's wonderful honestly she um she's very good at keeping me informed and then you know the other thing is like when we were sending when she was sending it out on submission we did talk about it um and I don't you know we talked about like who we thought um would be a good you know best places to send it 
Um, that's not something that I really do with my clients because I really, I know the industry. I certainly ask my clients, you know, do you have a dream editor? Do you have any connections to anyone? Did you, have you met anyone at conferences? Has anyone seen this? Like, I'll do that. But Rena and I kind of put our heads together and, um, and I was like, you know, well, what about this? And she, you know, what about this person? And she's like, oh, I usually send to this person because this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, cool, do that. You know, like I want, I didn't want to, I wanted her to um, be in charge of it um, because uh, it would have just been too much to feel like I was, I was in control of that. I wanted her to, I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted her to use her expertise, just like I, I want to use my expertise for my clients. And she's got different connections than I have, you know, like we all have the same pool of editors, but you know, like there are some editors that I know better than other editors. There's some editors that she knows better than, than other editors. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know my editor and she sent a turn, she ended up buying it. So, um, yay. <laughs> yay. Yeah, well, that's, I, I, suppose, I suppose that's good news if you didn't know the editor. Uh, but we hate to think that she's submitted like, this one's really interesting. Like, no, they were terrible to a client of mine. I would never want to work with them. But nothing like that came up. Uh, no. I'm trying to, I, I mean, it was a while ago, but I, I don't think, no. I mean, there, there's sometimes, it, sometimes the, there is the conversation like, you know, well, that editor never gets back to me. I'm not going to lie. We have those you know, agents. We talk to each other. Right. So, but weirdly it's like that agent never gets back to you. They always get right back to me. So it's just like, what's that about? You know, I don't know. So I don't know. I think that we all just have our different, um, we have different connections in the, you know, to, to different editors and, um, and that's a good thing. You know, so she's, she's a, she's a great agent. She really is. Now that uh, we're coming up here, I'm, I'm talking to you at launch. Esteemed audience is listening to this right ahead of the launch, which is why they're pre-ordering their copy of Repairing the World Now as they're yes. watching listening to us. Yes. Um, you've helped midwife so many books before this. You've seen mm -hmm. successful launches, bad launches. So with all that expert knowledge, what's your launch look like? What what one of the big, aside from coming on this show, which already Mwah, brilliant chef's kiss. But other than this, what, uh, what, what, what are your strategies for promotion? What are you going to be doing to help launch this thing in the world? So um, I'm being interviewed, you know, for, you know, in a number of different places, I'm going to be signing books at um, ALA, which is the week before um, my book comes out. So I think it'll be probably the weekend before this airs. Um, I'm just talking it up. You know, there's the, the truth of the matter is that it's either going to go and so, it's, it's either going to sell or it's not going to sell. I'm going to, I'm going to do interviews. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to, you know, I'm having a, um, a launch party at my local indie. Um, there'll be some like online, online events, stuff like that. Um, but like, like, I think that like, authors can only do so much um and there's a lot of people do a lot of stuff that just doesn't move the needle on sales um and and i and i kind of told myself that i'm not going to do that because i don't really have the time to do it um and i'm not gonna 
make myself feel bad for not doing all of these things that people do that ultimately doesn't move the needle anyway. Um, I want, I want, um, I think that, um, there's a lot of like Twitter conversation groups, um, which I think are great, but I think, I think I don't know that they sell books. Um, it can get the word out um, about your book and hopefully it will get the word out to people who will then get the word out to people who will get the, and get the word out, right? Um, but I mean, I do talk about my book and, I, and um, I talk about my book through the whole publishing process, you know, on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm going to do the things that my publisher sets up for me. I'm setting up some things for my, you know, myself. I would love to go to, um, you know, like book fairs and, uh, and conferences. Um, uh, I don't know about school visits. I'm a little bit of an introvert. So like that stuff kind of, I know it doesn't, it doesn't seem like an introvert because I'm like talkative and stuff like that, but like, that kind of stuff kind of makes me really nervous. Um, that being said, I haven't done it. So maybe like if I did it, I would love it because I do like talking to kids. Um, so, I, you know, I think I'm just going to do all the things that everyone does, <laughs> except for like, except for like, I kind of like gave myself an out that like, you can't do everything. You can't, I just can't, I can't do everything and take care of my clients and try to keep writing. So. Speaking of which, um, no pressure, you're just launching the first book, but do you have an idea what's, what's coming next? Uh, I wrote something that my agent has that, um, that I'm not going to talk about right now because I don't know what's going to happen with it. Um, and I have a book of poetry that's out on submission for adults. Um, and again, who knows what's going to happen with that. It's a totally different thing. And I was working on a YA um, that uh, got stalled. And now I don't know if I'm going to continue with it. I'm in the conversation of actually putting it aside, which means I don't know what I'm writing next, <laughs> which is a really, really strange place to be um, because I've been you know, since I wrote this, I've been steadily writing. Um, and um, the good news is like, I'm really busy with like work and promoting this book and I'm buying a house, which takes up a lot of time and stuff like that. Um, so I'm buying a house now while you're launching a book. <laughs> you know, the market's been really bad and I've been looking for a house for a year and then I found my house. Um, so you know, you have to grab opportunity when it comes to you, right? So, well, yeah. school's been choosing to, to come now during the, <laughs> was well, already a plenty busy, stressful time. <laughs> you know, um, I feel like as long as I take care of, you know, myself, you know, my physically and my mental health and all of that kind of stuff, being too busy um, is better than not being busy enough. For me, you know, I mean, for me, I, I, 
I do know how to relax. I do know how to like take it easy. Um, but I really, really, I really enjoy being like in a project and buying a house and, you know, doing all kinds of things. Yeah. Makes me feel alive, you know. You mentioned poetry. That reminded me, I wanted to ask you about self-publishing briefly. Yeah. Uh, you self-published your, your, your yeah. poetry earlier this year. So you're a hybrid author. And that, I guess. <laughs> that temptation there, knowing that you could just do that and reach, um, you know, if, if publishers are making you pull your hair out with delays or anything else, you could just publish whatever the next book you want to publish is. Does that become a temptation for you? Or is the experience not for me not for me <laughs> no so so the 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 poetry book that i published it's a it's a chat book so it's very small um and i never sent it out it wasn't something that i that i sent out to editors i didn't try to get it published traditionally um it was something that i um took a lot of uh poems from when i was younger and um and ones that I've written more recently, um, collected them um, so that it was a co- something cohesive. And then I, um, I wanted to, I just wanted to hold it in my hand and give it to people, um, my family and my friends. Um, I worked on it with um, an artist friend of mine whose name is Robin Arts and she designed the cover and she designed the book and it's beautiful. Um, she's someone I've known since I'm in my twenties and like the opportunity to kind of like create this thing with her, um, was just like a dream come true. So I didn't really go into it with the idea that like, I'm going to sell a thousand, you know, a million copies of my poetry. Like I, I didn't even care. I did a very small print run. Um, I hope people buy it. They can, you know, they can order it direct from the, from the printer or like I said, I'm going to put a, a buy button on my website. Um, I think that like at this point, all the people who I wanted to have it, have it, which are like my friends and my family. That's really what I did it for. So I don't really have any temptation to, you know, self-publish anything else because unless it were another poetry collection similar to that, because um, like my fiction, like I want it to reach a wide audience and I want it to be nice to make a couple of dollars, you know? I mean, that's not why I do it, obviously. But like, I want it to reach a, a wide audience and um, I don't have the wherewithal to do all the things that one needs to do as a, you know, self-publishing. Um, it's a big job, right? It's like the job of a whole publisher, <laughs> like you're doing all that, the promotion and the marketing and, you know, like all of that. And, you know, I can't even, I can't even like stay open to queries. Like, <laughs> I don't even know how am I going to be like, publisher for my for my book you know so yeah i i won't be doing that um the only way i would do it again is if i if i did another poetry collection i assume that changes your perspective a bit on people who have maybe previously self-published or now want to bring a new project to you to traditionally publish and are you seeing that change with your fellow agents and other agents as well i think that like from from the very beginning of like i don't think that's changed for me like what I've seen, it, it hasn't changed um, since I became an agent is that the people, there are people who self-publish and either they're successful at it or they're not successful at it. And then they decide they want to traditionally publish and that's fine. I don't care if someone's self-published. Um, the, 
the, I don't think it's like a positive. I don't think it's a negative. The only way that it's a positive, they've sold, you know, 20,000 copies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, 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 they, if their numbers of, in self-publishing are great, then it's a positive. Otherwise, it's just kind of a non-issue. It just doesn't matter um, because, um, because it just doesn't matter. It doesn't take anything away. Uh, I certainly, um, and I think a lot of agents would agree with me, um, if something is self-published um, and doesn't do well, like you don't sell a lot of copies, don't bring it to me, <laughs> right? Because I can't sell that. Uh, in traditional publishing um, because the first question they would be like, well, how did it do when they tried to self-publish it? It's like, well, it didn't do so well. And I think a lot of people who are self-publishing think that, you know, like, well, you know, with the right publisher, it would do well. It's like, well, but you kind of shot, you sh shot, you shot. Um, so that always kind of makes me sad because it's like, you know, wish you would have just, come straight to me and then like we could have worked on it we could have like maybe you know kicked it up a, le a level and, and then given it a try you know I don't know but I work in traditional public you know, I work in traditional publishing so I'm not like the best person to ask about self-publishing even though I did that as a as an author but for authors who, who have self-published who are listening to us and thought mm -hmm. and Epstein she feels my pain I'm going to query her as soon as she opens back up the fact that they have self-published, as long as they're bringing to you a completely new project, yeah, either here or there, we're starting. Absolutely, to and I, I think most agents would agree with that. I mean, if they don't, I would love to know why. So, so when mm -hmm. I come on the show, agents, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lynn Epstein, have you ever seen a flying saucer and/or a ghost? Um, I've never seen a flying saucer, um, and. It depends upon what you consider a ghost. The thing you saw, that's what I consider. Go on. Um, I feel like sometimes um, I've felt like an energy or whatever of, you know, people who have passed um, unexpectedly, like out of context. Um, so maybe I haven't like seen something, but like, I don't know. I definitely believe that um, there's more than what we can see and there's more than what we actually know. Um, or, and I think there's more than can be like scientifically proven. So maybe I felt the ghost. For more How about you? Consult Repairing the World, available now. There's <laughs> a whole book about spirituality. I have seen a, uh, an entity. It's not a middle grade appropriate uh, story. Every time I've tried to tell it on this podcast, I've cut it out because there's just no way to tell it that makes it acceptable. <laughs> Got it. Um, um, well, I, I'm watching our time and we're over. It flew by. Uh, yeah. Have a crazy wonderful conversation like this that's always the case and i so appreciate yeah. you making time for for me and for esteemed audience thank you so much this was the first uh one of these that i've done to promote this book and it was really fun and you made it um you made me feel comfortable and i really appreciate the opportunity well we'll see i've got one last question this might be the moment it all becomes <gasps> 
<laughs> my uh, last question for now although you're going to write more books uh, come back and we'll do this again when you do uh, but for tonight my last question is if you could go back to the start of your career and or whenever you like somewhere in the middle uh, and offer yourself some advice that would have made easier your path and um, would make easier the paths of everybody who's watching or listening to us what would you go back right. and tell yourself um, to connect to other writers um, that I wish I would have connected to, I wish I would have found a critique partner um, sooner than I did, um, sooner than my MFA program. I think that it's really important to make connections with other writers who can, who you can talk about craft with, who you can um, get support in and critique from. I didn't have a critique partner until I went for my MFA because. Um, it was difficult for me to get one because I'm an agent and there was like a power differential and I didn't want anyone to ever feel like um, uncomfortable in that situation. So um, if I could give myself advice, it would be like, find someone to read your work. That's the perfect note to end on. Where can yeah. an esteemed audience find you online, follow you on social media and all that good stuff? So I am at Linda Epstein on Twitter. Um, my author webpage is, we, I think we are 98% sure it's lindaepsteinauthor.com. <laughs> um, and I'm on Instagram, um, uh, Linda Epstein author on Instagram. There's also a Linda Lit agent, but the Linda Lit agent Instagram is more like, it's not really lit agent stuff. It's more like, you know, my kids and my food and stuff like that. <laughs> pictures of food um so yeah so instagram and twitter and my um my website that's 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 where they can find me and in bookstores <laughs> bookstores uh, online wherever fine books are sold get your copy exactly. in the world uh get your copy of banneker bones or the giant robot bees your weekend is set uh, for more information uh, about Linda Epstein, uh, as well as thousands of other literary agents, editors, and authors, head to middlegradeninja.com. And God willing, I'm alive. I'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you.